1: Brian Peterson is taking care of things right now. The Wesley Fields touchdown. Georgia Southern pass swings. on the way. It's gone. It is well with my stolen Montgomery. Georgia Southern
0: wins. All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I'm Travis Jadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Uh, we got a loaded show for you guys today. Got Mike Anthony from the Statesboro Herald, the beat writer for Georgia Southern, and the sports editor over at the Herald uh, coming on to talk about the main win and all that it entailed. Uh, we're going to you know, dive into some conversation about the main game. Um, including some georgia southern fans you know concerned about the look of the team uh, us possibly being concerned about the look of the team after two weeks uh, a win over maine at 26 to 18 wasn't necessarily a thing of beauty but it was a win nonetheless so mike and i will jump into that then we'll have andy Greta from the st paul pioneer press at the end of the episode uh, to help scout minnesota for us and we're going to give you Fans who are traveling to the game uh, this Saturday in Minneapolis, some tips for enjoying Minneapolis from Andy. uh, So stay tuned for that. Uh, Mike, how are you after one and one Georgia Southern? uh, A lot of questions, but it's better than zero and two, right?
2: Yeah, doing a lot better after one and one than I was after zero and one.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to be looking for a win on Saturday and to have found one come Sunday. So let's uh, let's jump into Maine and everything uh that went into it right georgia southern 26 Maine 18 uh, most notable stack coming out of this one total plays georgia southern 61 Maine 69 nice uh nice. we have uh, seven fumbles from georgia southern they lost one which is nutty uh seven penalties from georgia southern and even even a missed field goal from tyler bast which uh if you were there consider yourself lucky because those things are so rare that it's almost kind of cool to be in the house when Tyler Bass misses a field goal, because it's like, uh, it's kind of like an eclipse. You don't get to see it too often. Um, Mike, I guess I, you know, I'll start with some general stuff from, from Maine that I saw, you know, the seven fumbles, obviously that's gotta be cleaned up. I I don't really want to dive into the analytics of whether you drop a football or not, but you know, they've got to clean that up. That, goes without saying losing only one out of seven is pretty ridiculous. So that's, that's wild. Uh, coaches will tell you that's being around the ball and being uh, fo- you know, football IQ being high and all that nonsense, but really it comes down to a lot of it is luck and where the thing bounces. So that that's pretty wild. Uh, seven penalties uh, sloppy from Georgia Southern, but I'll say this, the roughing the punter um, I- I'm kind of good with it. And, and those of you who watched the game or, we're at the game. We, you know. We'll know what I'm talking about. I don't need to go into specifics about who it was or, or when it happened, but the roughing the punter called Orange Georgia Southern was a good call, but I'm good with that play because a dude's trying to go out and make a play. Uh, it was a bad play. He knows that, but, I mean, I applaud the effort from that. Uh, T-Bass misses a field goal, still hits four of them, and takes home uh, Sunbelt Conference Special Team Player of the Week. So when you miss a field goal for the first time in, uh, like, Probably, I mean, almost a year.
2: Well, UL Monroe game.
0: UL Monroe, yeah, he missed a chip shot uh, against ULM, but did he miss after that at all for the rest of the season? I don't believe
2: he did. Yeah, so I mean, that's,
0: yeah, so that's like, what, nine, ten months. There you go, without missing a field goal, that'll do just fine. Um, But so specifically, we'll get into them in a second. Uh, Mike, for you, generally, coming out of the main game, I guess late Saturday night, Maybe Sunday morning before the NFL kicks off. Kind of, what were your feelings and thoughts about what you had just watched?
2: Well, I think that you know you, you covered it up pretty uh, uh, nicely about all the reasons to be frustrated, um, and not to not to put too silver of a lining on it because you know uh, the coaches will be the first ones to tell you, and they've told both of us repeatedly since uh, Saturday that they need to get better. Georgia Southern's not going to continue to win games if they play like that. However, uh you know one argument I could make is that if you look at just where those uh those fumbles and penalties occurred, not trying to to figure what would have happened, you know, say if it's not a fumble or say if it's uh uh no penalty or anything big happens, but just if those negative plays don't happen, it's just nothing. You you get a redo almost. I think you would see a game where Georgia Southern's in position to maybe not make a laugher out of it, but make that a whole lot more comfortable than it was. And even the way it did play out, you still had a Georgia Southern team that was up 23 to three. The defense really hadn't given up anything since the opening drive that Maine had. And maybe uh, that's one more thing you can add to the pile on top of the penalties and the, uh, the fumbles was just a little bit of a lapse by the defense. I don't think that they were really taking it easy, but they had a three score lead there late in the game and they kind of let Maine start to do a few more things that they hadn't been able to do uh, throughout the night. Made that score, in my opinion, look a little bit closer than it was.
0: Yeah, look, this thing ended up being a one-possession game, but it was it, it was you know clearly a, a type a type of game where the score did not reflect how lopsided it was. I mean, after the first drive, uh, where um, Maine converts back-to-back third downs, uh, doing what it seems to me every opponent's going to do against Georgia Southern, uh, on the scripted plays, the first drive of the game and the first drive of the second half, they're, they're going to exploit, uh, Georgia Southern having four linebackers on the field, seemingly at all times. And they're going to make one of those linebackers for the most part, Jay Bowdry for now, uh, is being caught having to cover the, the opposing team's third receiver. And that probably isn't going to go well, uh, you know at certain times, but Georgia Southern certainly stepped up on the defensive end after uh that first drive. They convert two first downs Maine does on that first drive, then get a third by way um of pass interference that was questionable probably on a post pattern I believe it was uh Daryl Baker uh
2: who was yeah, called was a for bit that. touchy
0: yeah, I mean that was touchy, but look you you give up those three first downs and then you don't give up uh I think you know I think Maine ended up. Converting, let's see, they converted four of sixteen. So you give up two on the first drive, then you give up two of the next fourteen. So that that'll do just fine for Georgia Southern's defense. They did rush for three hundred and ninety-five yards. uh Southern did. LaRoche, Wright, and Tomlin carrying the bulk of the weight. So the, you know the, there were plenty of good things, and they didn't finish the way they wanted to. They fumbled a lot. They were penalized a lot, um and then there were some weird things that we'll kind of get into in just a second. Um, that kind of happened in the main game. But look, the general takeaway for me is this. I kind of feel justified in thinking that Georgia Southern would win handily if it played well. And that ended up being true because Georgia Southern probably played, uh, Mike, what would you say, C-plus?
2: Yeah, it was a little weird because they had some really high peaks. They had some explosive plays that the fans had been clamoring for. Even last year when they were on their way to 10 wins and a bowl victory, you kept hearing where are the big plays, where are those 60 and 70 and 80 yard runs. We had a few of those yesterday, or I'm sorry, on Saturday, but they weren't able to do the little things and convert them into points. So a lot of A plus plays, but there were enough Fs in there to bring it right back down to the class average, I think.
0: Yeah. So, okay. Well, I mean, so C plus ish, B minus, maybe main probably grades mm-hmm. out. Maine probably grades out in that one around the same. We'll give them a B minus, a C plus, somewhere in that range. Yet Georgia Southern still wins by a touchdown plus two. Um, So Georgia Southern was a better football team. Uh, They didn't need to play great to win. Uh, Like we said before last week, uh, well done by Coach Lunsford and company, making Maine out to be a juggernaut that they weren't. Uh, They weren't as good as Georgia Southern, and Georgia Southern proved that on Saturday by playing uh, you know, an average football game and winning pretty easily. So although Chad Lunsford would tell you that Maine would be a Sunbelt contender, that is not true. That never was true. And I think most of you probably know that and you understand what what CCL is trying to do there. But we see you, Chad, and we know that Maine, I don't think, would be a Sunbelt contender. Michael, I mean, are you okay with all that? I mean, do you think that... Uh Georgia Southern I, needed to play well to beat Maine.
2: No, I, I definitely wouldn't accuse uh, Maine of being a team that could be like 2014 Georgia Southern and come in and run a rough shot over the conference. I think there may maybe some uh, teams that aren't going to have as great a year in the Sun Belt that they'd be able to to keep up with. But yeah, I think that uh, Maine and maybe maybe uh, you know you need to think about the fact that it's you know 50s or so in Orlando, Maine, and they walked into basically a steam bath. I think what we talked about last week may may have held true. Uh, that defense got a little bit sluggish when it was sweating it out, and they were running out of you know scholarship backups in the in the uh, third and fourth quarters there. But no, you're right. Um, Georgia Southern they they didn't leave themselves a whole lot of leeway in terms of uh, number of uh, iffy plays they could have put back on the field and still won but yeah, they didn't play their best, and, you know, to just touch on one other thing that you said about Maine's opening drive, where it was the one drive where they really looked functional, like they were really going to give Georgia Southern a problem, you know, uh, you mentioned the scripted plays, and we talked about last week about how Georgia Southern seems to have trouble with teams like Maine that spread it out, that throw it, that'll get right back on the ball, and I think that after that first drive, what Georgia Southern did there was a big key was they made stops on first down. They didn't let the six get moved to second and eight where you can run right up there and call whatever you want and have Georgia Southern scrambling. They were able to make more substitutions, not have as many of those matchup problems that you talk about in the secondary. And I just think that their performance early in downs early in series is a key.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. And uh, let's jump into some of the specifics coming out of this main game. I think for me, there were two, to three kind of weird moments. Uh, and a lot of you guys were wondering about these things on, um, on Saturday night during the game on Twitter. And so, uh, you know, me being a man of the fans, of course, uh, I asked Coach Lunsford about this first one. The end of the first half, Mike, was super strange. There's no other way to describe it. Uh, and so let's kind of just talk it out <laughs> and, and see if we can't make sense of what happened. All right, Georgia Southern had two timeouts uh, late in the first half with 37 seconds on the clock. Maine had just, uh, um, you know, failed on their third down to to get the first down. So it's fourth down with 37 seconds left. Uh, Georgia Southern has two timeouts and, and could have made a uh, Maine punt with around 30 seconds left on the clock if it chose to use a timeout. Instead, Coach Lunsford decided to call it with three seconds left, uh, the first of Georgia Southern's two remaining timeouts and then Maine just chucked it away as time expired. Uh, During this, uh, having gone back and watched the game already, the Maine coach, Charlton, did a song and dance on the sideline, uh, which was entertaining to say the least. Many thought at that time, including Greg Talbot on on the ESPN Plus broadcast, thought that this was maybe Coach Lunsford trolling uh, uh, Charlton and Maine. And for some reason, you know, just messing with their head and making them come back. They had, they had started to depart the sideline. But so I asked Lunsford about this uh, afterwards. Uh, He said it was Georgia Southern trying to go for a blocked punt and make something happen. Uh, He did, uh, you know, obviously they don't want to just go into the locker room with just two timeouts sitting in his pocket. So wanted to make main punt it. And then Georgia Southern was going to go for a block. Here's my problem. If you're going to do that, you should have used a timeout before there were three seconds left. Uh, First off, you would eliminate Maine being able to do what it did, just line up with your regular offense and chuck it out of bounds. Okay. Uh, Maine wasn't going to go for it at all. It, you know, never was, if Georgia Southern called a timeout immediately, Maine's punting. They're not going for it, uh, at, you know, at that part of the field, that part of the game um, in that scenario. So it, if Georgia Southern wanted to block the punt, it should have called it earlier. It doesn't eliminate the blocked punt uh, from happening, you can still go for the block. You don't have to send a return man out there. You go for the block, and a couple of things could happen. Either Georgia Southern could have blocked it. Then you kick uh, with a timeout still in your back pocket. If you use the timeout, say at ten to twelve seconds, the first one, then you can still go for the block. And if you block it, you get a field goal. If you block it with three seconds left, you you got to return it all the way to the house, or it's not you know it doesn't benefit you at all. You don't get to score on it. Um, if nothing happens, if Georgia Southern doesn't block the punt, uh, they don't end up scoring. You simply let the punt land wherever it lands. Then you kneel it on the next play out and you go in the locker rooms, no harm, no foul. So that to me was a mistake. They could have, re- you know, they could have sent a returner back there. Had they called a timeout with 30 seconds left. Then you got one timeout and say the ball on the 20, 25, 30 yard line. Um, then you can still kneel it or you can go for a scoring. So that didn't make sense to me at the end of the first half. And I'm pretty sure it was not a troll job. I think it was what Lunsford said it was. They wanted to make something happen, but there was a better way to go about that. And to me, that felt like kind of a wasted opportunity. It might have been a long shot for Georgia Southern to score, but, you know, there was no drawback to calling a timeout with more than three seconds on the clock. Mike, what did you think about that scenario?
2: I mean, I've got no good answers for why that played out like it did. Um, I've looked at it. I've re-racked my brain. You know, the the down and distance didn't make sense for Maine man to go for it. The position on the field didn't make sense for him to go for it. The fact that it was still a, a close game and that they were going to have to give the ball to Georgia Southern to begin the second half means that you wouldn't get too risky. The closest thing I can come up with to a rationale for, A, calling a timeout at all, and B, waiting until there's three seconds left, is that coaches watch so much tape. They watch every situation they can get their hands on. Maybe they saw something in Maine's punt formation that could be exploited if they thought a block was coming, but not if it was a regular punt. I mean, I'm just grasping at straws here, but I know that the situations, the scenarios are that specific, where if it gets down to three seconds and Maine goes to punt, and they are thinking that Georgia Southern's coming after it, so they call their max protect. Maybe Georgia Southern has that on tape somewhere and saw something that they thought they could exploit and just go for one big play. But again, that's me just uh, uh, shouting out into the void and not having any other good explanations for why that would have played out like it did.
0: Yeah, it was just a really weird scenario. Um, And, you know, I think nothing really... Came of it, it didn't end up hurting Georgia Southern at all. But
2: that, yeah, that I mean that—that's the—that's the other thing is no matter how you play it, if you're Georgia Southern, there really was no way to mess it up in terms of them allowing any more points. It was right. just how much of a chance you give yourself to put some more on the board in 30 seconds.
0: Right, and so that's what I didn't understand. Like you know, if if you're saying it wasn't some sort of troll job or head game or literally just Lunsford messing with Maine. Then don't, when you're asked about it afterwards, you can't say that you're going for a block to try to make something happen. Well, if you wait till three seconds left, you have to block the punt, then return it for a score. That's even more rare than a blocked punt in and of itself. The chances of you blocking the punt, picking it up and scoring all in one play uh, are slim. So if you're going to do that, just call it with, you know, 10, 12 seconds left, nothing would have changed. The scenario would have been the exact same, uh, except for that you give yourself an actual opportunity to score and you eliminate Maine from being able to do what it did. I don't know. That was weird. It didn't affect the game really, you know, after that point. But I wanted to at least discuss it. Mike, uh, you know, we can talk about the Lunsford decision to do the onside kick. Uh, I I don't really have any strong takes on that. I, I know some people get a little, get a little tired of seeing kind of gimmicky stuff like that. For me I I'm good with Georgia Southern taking those kind of chances here and there. Do you have any opinion on on that onside kick and that philosophy kind of in general?
2: Well, in that I'll kind of bring up my my theory on the the punt and the punt block and that decision and I would be a little bit more certain in saying that you know there is a rhyme and a reason to why they do it. I don't know if you do it so much, you know, eventually people are just going to game plan for it, but when you consider that you have an All-American kicker, they've got a a lot of athleticism to begin with on the kickoff coverage unit. They've got a good kickoff coverage unit in terms of tackling and in terms of, you know, being able to make hits and get their hands on the ball. And on top of that, you're playing a team that just isn't going to have guys who are quite as big and fast and athletic as you're used to seeing up on that front line for a surprise onside. So, again, I mean, I'm sure that they looked at some tape and saw – you know, if they line up this way, here's a way we can exploit it. And you use what you thought was a good plan and numbers and better athletes to try and do it. And it didn't work out. Most onside kicks don't, you know, surprise onsides might have a little bit better percentage, but my only criticism would be that, yeah, they do seem to do it a lot more than uh, most teams. I've got no problem with uh, being a risk taker, but if you, if you do it too often, then uh, nobody's going to be surprised by it anymore.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I don't think, and I don't think that Lunsford and, and uh, you know Andrew Dodge special teams. Uh, yeah, I don't think they do it too often, or, or that there's some sort of you know problem or pattern there. But that that is something that the people were discussing. Uh, for the rest of the main conversation, I kind of want to just stick to the offense because there's plenty to talk about there. But Mike, before we do, defensively, I guess you know whether any spots that kind of stood out for you? I'll say this: just kind of three general points. Uh, Kendrick Duncan Jr. is really coming along at, at safety, and, and we know how talented he is. But man, he looks the part, and he's starting to kind of fly around uh, the way that Josh Moon did, it. and that's a good sign because that means you know you're not really thinking uh, as robotically as it kind of looked like you know in the LSU game. Uh, so I mm-hmm. thought Kendrick Duncan was really good. He had a he had an interception. Um, and, and impacted some more plays that kind of didn't show up uh, on the stat sheet. So that's one for me. Monquavian Brenton is a man. He is the man. I love and Brenton. I love watching him play. Uh, this guy just stepped up and made a bunch of big tackles in space uh, early on, like most of the defense. Um, you know, he made he a great ones.
2: play down the field early as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, he really did. And, and uh, you know, for as little as Vildor has done so far, it does seem like the defenses are the opposing offenses are trying um, t- t- to target. You know, they prefer to target Brinson than Vildor if they're given that you know undesirable choice between those two. It does seem like Brinson, and he's answered the call. I I, I think since uh, since LSU, obviously in Maine, he played really well. I think there were times in LSU where Brinson, uh, you know, was kind of frustrated and and saw the writing on the wall. Uh, which is not the first time that something like that has happened to him. But Brenton's a really good player. I thought he played really, really, really well uh, on Saturday. Third thing for me, Mike, on defense, real quick, uh, with uh, C.J. Wright missing the game to an injury that Lunsford has not really addressed or talked about, Um, Ty Phillips was forced to play a lot of snaps and kind of wore out, which is understandable. Uh, And then in the middle, Georgia Southern was exposed at nose tackle a little bit. Now, Gavin Adcock... Uh, I think played serviceable. He had a forced fumble, uh, which, w- which was a big moment for Georgia Southern at the time. Uh, so I think he was serviceable, but that's that was a noticeable difference, especially in that first drive when when you're taking Ty Phillips out after five, six, seven plays, uh, which is normal, and CJ Wright's not coming in. That was a noticeable gap for me. So those are kind of three things defensively for me that, that I kind of just picked up and saw. Uh, before we get to the offense, Mike, did you... Have anything defensively for Georgia Southern that
2: you wanted to note? Uh, one big thing that I'll say, keeping it on the defensive line, is uh, you know you think defensive line and you see that Georgia Southern's not getting a bunch of, of sacks and you know you wonder how well they're playing. I think that they're playing a little bit better than uh, anybody's talking about, and, and mostly because of one guy I want to point out, which is everybody knows about Raymond Johnson. On one end, there were a lot of questions given the uh, all season events about who would be on that other defensive end side. And Mm -hmm. Trevor Gleam, I think, has really stepped up. And, you know, it doesn't show in big plays coming from either of them, although they did have a couple big hits. But the fact that Georgia Southern is still, I believe, tops in the nation in run defense, uh, and the fact that in the main game, you know, even though there wasn't a ton of uh, blitz and there wasn't a ton of sacks, what there also wasn't was a lot of time for uh, Maine to get throws off. And there definitely wasn't the ability – uh, not that he wanted to be too mobile, but there wasn't the ability to step up in a pocket, to roll the pocket, to move the protection out and buy five and six seconds where guys can get open. So even though it's not showing up in the nice stats that all defensive linemen love, I think that they did a great job on the uh, Saturday of doing exactly what they were asked to do within the scheme. And I think that having that defensive end opposite Raymond Johnson – Traver Bloom was a guy on Saturday. If you're going to get good play from both ends, it's going to be a tough defense to crack.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And it, it, even though they weren't getting a lot of sacks, it's like you said, it does seem like they have the ability to kind of force the issue a little bit and, and at least provide some quarterback hurries, which with the Georgia Southern cornerbacks and their secondary beginning to pick it up, that's only a good thing for Georgia Southern. Um All right, let's jump to the offense. There was a lot to kind of take in from this one. I want to say off the bat, uh, let's remember, and kind of I I do this for my own health, just always remember this offense does not have shy words right now. They do not have Wesley Kennedy right now. Uh, Midway through the main game, they had a banged up Jacob Cooper, their best remaining offensive lineman. So let's just keep that you know, in at the forefront before we even start talking about the offense and kind of what it has been and what it hasn't been. Just remember, this isn't the, the, uh, finished product, uh, so to speak. Um, the offense looked solid at times I thought Mike, but, but they still left a lot to be desired. Uh, there were snap problems. Uh, you know, Cooper had that right, uh, right hand injury, which forced some kind of Uh, rotating along the offensive line. And that is when the bad snaps began to um, pick up as far as the, the the number of bad snaps that there were. Um, But I will say this, it's not like, uh, you know, it was every single play it's, you know, next man up. But like we've said before, the next man up isn't going to be uh, as solid or as good as the man in front of him or else he would have been the first man up. So, you know, it It is to be expected there is a drop off when you lose a starter and you have to replace them so I just you know keep that in mind I, the early uh hashtag dive diet from de best's Georgia Southern kind of setting the table for the rest of the game to come it is uh frustrating, but it's understandable. I guess I mean Georgia Southern wants to get it out wide. They want to hit on these big plays, and they had nine uh explosive plays, which are twenty five yards or more that, you know, they had nine of those. So that's legitimate for sure. But, you know, I think one thing for me, Mike, on the offense, besides the dives and the snaps uh, and, and, a, and a few awkward looking pitch plays from Tomlin, uh, especially when going to his left. Uh, other than that, to me, the one thing that stick, sticks out so far is the lack of sustained scoring drives. Um, now, look, you have nine explosive plays. That's going to take away from, having the 10 to 14 play scoring drives that Georgia Southern kind of is known for uh, an option offense, you know, certainly will accept big plays when they come, but that's not going to be the bread and butter. I don't think of this team moving forward. So, you know, it is kind of confusing to see this. It's not exactly complimentary football with a thin defensive line uh, to be scoring. Uh, you know, on four and five play drives and sending the defense back out there. You know, as we said, Maine ran, you know, 10 more plays in Georgia Southern. It could have been a lot more than that had Maine taken care of the ball a little better themselves. Um, and had they not gone two for 14 after the first drive on third downs. But for Georgia Southern, that you know, there's seven scoring drives this year through two games. They're averaging 5.7 plays per drive. Uh, their longest drive was a 10-play field goal drive against LSU. So they are hitting on these big plays, but they have yet to put together one of those patented 12-15-play to 15 play touchdown drives that Georgia Southern is known for. And if this team wants to go where they say they want to go, and that's to a conference title, those things are going to have to start happening. Obviously, you'll take nine explosive plays, so I don't want to minimize that. That is awesome. But we need to see at some point the ability for this team And again, no Tomlin, I mean, no words, no Kennedy. Uh, We need to see at some point this offense have the ability to drive 60, 70 yards uh, and put this thing in the end zone and take some time off the clock to kind of give your defense a chance to not face 75 plays a game. Uh, Mike, for you, what stood out uh, on Saturday for you offensively?
2: Well, to me, I think that it's, you know, a lot of the counting stats that people wanted to see were there. Um, you know, it, it's just, again, to focus on the, the fumbles and the the uh, penalties, I think that's your answer for where any of those sustained scoring drives went. A lot of those, you know, happened uh, uh, early enough in drives to where it just either put them too far behind schedule to to move the chains and they had to punt it away, or in some cases, you know, they got down the field quickly, but then, you know, they got taken right out of position and either had to, to kick or, you know, the one case fumbling deep inside the red zone. but what I will say, the one thing that really stood out to me is if you look at the third quarter, uh, Georgia Southern ran 13, uh, rushing plays and gained 200 yards with it. And, you know, that, that's something that Georgia Southern fans have been dying to see. Even last year in many games, you know, you, you had, uh, when you looked at the end of the game, you would see, uh, some games where they're averaging, you know, three and four yards per, per rush, sometimes less than that. You know, it was way up over that uh, on Saturday. The the bad snaps and the, the fumbles kind of killed that. You know, you mentioned 395 total yards rushing. They actually had about 460 moving forward. That's just how much they lost right. uh, in lost ground on pitches and snaps and all that. So, again, you know, you have to erase those. No one's going to give them a break on that. But to me, that shows that those bigger plays, you know, not necessarily explosive plays, not 50-yard touchdown plays, but those you know, 10, 11, 12-yard plays that'll keep the chains moving, the ones that'll have you look at the stats at the end of the day and see, oh, it was a good day. They averaged 6 and 7 per rush. When you do that, you're going to come out better off on the scoreboard. Uh, So, to me, it's a better problem for Georgia Southern to have to look up and see those types of yardage outputs and have to figure out why did we not get more than 26 points out of that than it would be for them to have games like in years past where – Maybe you scored enough, uh maybe even scored enough to win, but at the end of the day, you're thinking, man, that ball really wasn't moving anywhere, and we were lucky to to get points where we could and then hang on uh, with the defense.
0: Yeah, and look, Georgia Southern dominated the ground game. That that was obvious, I thought. I mean Maine ran twenty-one times in the game. Fifteen of those came in the first half, so six second half carries for Maine they had 52 yards, uh, rushing Georgia Southern carried the thing 52 times. So that was a dominating performance on the ground. And that's what Georgia Southern should be doing. I mean, I, you know, they're not going to win a lot of games where they're out rushed, but they need to be dominating in that category. Three ninety five to 52 will do just fine. Thank you very much. And I'm a okay with Maddie LaRoche, uh, putting up 154 on nine carries, uh, Seventeen point one average, Mike. I think uh, if you do the math, that checks out pretty well. That's that's nearly uh, two first downs per play. Yeah, that'll work. So you know, there there was there was moments where the offense looked like it had figured it out. But do we feel and you know, I don't, Mike. But you tell me if if you feel differently. Do we feel like this offense figured something out uh last week against Maine, or do we feel like? they just did things that better uh, talented players do. I mean, th- was there something that they figured out from week one to two that you saw? Cause I, I you know, I don't see much of anything really.
2: I, I don't know if they've schematically figured out something, especially because they're going to, you know, have another big shift in talent level this week going up against uh, Minnesota. who's going to be a bigger team. They're going to have linebackers that are, you know, able to keep up with the skill position players, the Georgia Southern, but One thing I do think they gained is a little bit of confidence. You know, no matter how well they blocked that LSU defensive front, it was never going to go all that well for them. So even if they didn't pull off all their assignments, even if they had a lot of trouble on the pitches, for the most part, I think the ball was at least attempting to go in the right direction as far as reads went, as far as uh, blocking execution and overall Uh, play calling. I I just think that they've got the confidence now to know that it can work, even though if in the back of their minds they know it's against a team that is going to be a little bit smaller, a little bit uh, weaker, a little bit thinner in terms of depth, and they're going to see the rest of the season. It's one thing to believe you can do it and practice it and have it drawn out on paper. It's another to actually achieve it in a game, and that's got to do something for you the next time you face up against a Minnesota or an App State or anybody who you know is going to be a tough matchup for you, it it does a lot for you to know that you've at least executed it against live competition before. So we'll see if uh, maybe they run with a little bit more authority, a little bit more confidence, maybe with a little bit more aggression, which uh, if you remember was my main complaint about the LSU game. They just didn't take any fight to a team. Even if you know you might not win that fight, if you don't throw the punches, you can't expect to land any.
0: Yeah, I mean they did come with a little I thought Georgia Southern did come with a little more gusto if you will. I mean they they looked a little more energized and that's understandable, man. I like if I'm out there in Baton Rouge on not national TV and I'm losing by 40, you're like I'm not I'm I'm probably not going to give you 100%. I'll be honest. And I and I'm not a division 1 football player, so obviously they're held to a higher standard, but I, I can get that. I mean they're humans. I, I get that. And so it's easier to play harder when you're winning. Duh. So, you know, the offense I thought came along a little bit. It came along a little bit. But again, this week in Minnesota, you'll have a little bit stiffer competition than an FCS uh juggernaut uh or a Sunball contender, if you ask Chad Lunsford. Uh Mike, let's let's hit the passing game real quick and then and then we'll talk uh just for a few seconds about Minnesota. Uh we had a DA big play sighting, Darion Anderson uh with his signature long uh usually a scoring catch if it's Darion Anderson but this one was somewhere
2: out there he is still tumbling towards the end zone
0: right yeah I thought for a second Mike that you might have been up in the upper deck and just hit him with a sniper for a minute but he had that 45 yard catch and then his feet unfortunately got in the way of him scoring but that you know right around midfield that's the kind of go-to since he's arrived in Statesboro uh and i can't remember mike maybe you remember i don't know if it was off of play action or not but it was one of those kind of uh just a sneaky go route uh from the near side from the near sideline down to the middle and anderson was wide open i thought it was a good throw from tomlin who had several several good throws uh let's talk about tomlin quickly mike uh 4 for 9 63 yards uh, a decent game and a solid game and i'm going to say it i'm going to say it mike Justin Tomlin was a game manager on Saturday in the win over Maine. What say you?
2: Yeah. yeah, It's kind of hard to put the game manager tag on an option quarterback when you know that everything's going to go through him, but.
0: But I checked the know, book. It's allowed.
2: On... You're allowed to do it. Right. Right. And it also depends on what the defense throws at you. You might have to take more of it into your hands. You might have to make the decisions and distribute it more. And I think that overall he made the right calls. There were some pitches that need to be worked on. There's maybe some uh, uh, timing issues with other pitches where it was there, but the but the, uh, pitch man wasn't. Um, but those are all, you know, mental things. Those are all repetition things. Overall, I think, the uh, again, the decision-making, the general flow of the play was going in the right direction, whether that's through the play call or something that he called at the line. Uh, whoever deserves the credit, I think that it was a pretty well-managed game. And as for uh, going through the air, you know, you easily could have added another deep ball, probably 30 more yards to that total. I know Mark Michaud had one in both of his hands. He'd gotten over the center. It was a tough catch, to be sure. But credit on both sides. You know, he almost made the play. And Tomlin put it in really the only spot where Michaud was going to get to that. So uh, no issue with any of the throws. You know, four for nine, 60-some yards is just a line that you're going to see from an option quarterback when they're running the ball well. I think that he showed enough danger in those deep balls early that Maine had to, to stay off a little bit. And you'll notice that after that deep ball to uh, to Darian Anderson, that's when those big gashing running plays started to happen. One fewer guy in the box or one guy that's got to think for an extra half second before he charges in. Now all of a sudden that blocker gets there, that edge gets sealed. That's when the runs really start to go. So that's always been the case. You know, the, the deep ball is – something that can be a weapon if someone cheats up on the run too much and you know if they're cheating up on the run a lot it's something that can maybe make them back off if not get a big play at least make them think twice about trying to stuff you at the line every time yeah I
0: didn't think about that the fact that you know after Georgia Southern hit on that uh DA big play and then uh you're right that throw to Mashad down the uh, far sideline so we we're on the press box on the Georgia Southern sideline so down the main sideline going uh away from the Smith Center that that was a really really good throw and I thought it was a good play by the cornerback I'm not sure if that was Manny Patterson well, on the coverage yeah,
2: no, that I, was, I, I don't think you could fault anybody on any part of that play you know Michaud it would have been a great catch if he'd have gotten it uh you know the yeah. receivers coach and maybe even Michaud will say he should have caught it because if you look at the replay he got over the defender and got two hands on it but the defender did his job of making that as tough as he could have with the mismatch that Mashad is and Tomlin couldn't have thrown it any farther. It would have been over him. Couldn't have thrown it any softer or else it would have been an interception.
0: Yeah. And again, don't ever think that the throws like that, uh, when they're, when they fall incomplete, uh, they, they are not without cause. I mean, there is some benefit to putting things like that on film. Uh, not only in that one game, uh, you kind of open things up as Mike just said, uh, you also kind of put that on film and that's just another wrinkle that you got to worry about uh you know i don't want to pretend like a pass play is a wrinkle but when when tomlin i mean he came in i I think it was his first or second throw uh ever uh against lsu and he chucks the thing down the far right sideline also to darian anderson uh i believe
2: um and that was also a good throw too yeah you're right tomlin is fearless as he looked in the running game he looked even more fearless uh chucking the ball downfield and if they can get the running game going that's sort of gun slinging mentality that can put up big points in an option game
0: yeah no doubt and uh i don't think tomlin from the looks of it so far i don't think he's going to set many uh interceptionless streaks uh a la because he's going to take his shots but you know I, i'm good with that and I, i'll say this mike about tomlin uh and then we'll, we'll close out man I, I do feel probably a thousand times better. About the Georgia Southern quarterback room behind Shy Wirtz now. And um, maybe that's just because we didn't see Tomlin enough uh, in practice and enough kind of meaningful reps uh, before. But now I, I'm okay with Tomlin it, going into this Minnesota game. And, and let's actually just move right into it. Going into this Minnesota game, it doesn't look like Wirtz is going to play. He's still day to day. I really hope Chad Lunsford does not start falling in love with that phrase because that would cause me a lot of headaches, and I'm sure you too, Mike. Um, I, I don't think he's going to play. It doesn't look like he's going to play, but are you are you good with Tomlin at Minnesota? I mean, I think Wertz gives him a better chance to win, but now I don't necessarily even look at it as uh, too big of a deterrent. If Georgia Southern is going to beat a team like Minnesota at Minnesota, uh, I don't know that it it will be because of uh, Wurtz slash Tomlin. I think it would be because of kind of everything else, uh, if that makes sense. So what are your feelings kind of heading into this game, Mike, as far as uh, Georgia Southern's chances go against Minnesota?
2: Well, as far as the quarterback situation goes to to start off, you know, even even if everything breaks right and they get a huge uh, upset victory, you know, I wouldn't consider that. You hear some people talking about how well Tomlin played and do you have a quarterback controversy? I mean, Wirtz has been the guy for two years. He made a huge leap last year. There's no telling if he might be in line for even more progress this year. He can't really fault a guy for getting hurt, especially in the situation that he was in. Um, on the other side, going into uh, the first game of the season, there was exactly one snap of collegiate action for any other quarterback aside from Wirtz, and it was a botched snap and fumble in the Coastal Carolina game with uh, yeah. Tomlin, ironically enough. So if nothing else, he got some experience for Tomlin. Um, he's got to feel a lot more confident. You know, obviously this is Minnesota, not Maine. Um, but, you know, Maine was his first starting assignment. And as we learned after the game on Saturday, you know, he, he didn't know for sure. I'm sure there was some thoughts. You know, Shai couldn't have looked great the first couple yeah, days of the week. But the official word came in on Thursday. So that's still, you know, only 48 hours to prepare and the word we got this week was shy day-to-day, but they're moving on as if Tomlin's a starter. So I think that that helps him from a mental state that, you know, hey, I'm going to take all my reps with the ones this week. Maybe we can get some of that timing a little bit better with those pitches. Maybe we get a little more comfortable. And I think that's just going to lead to more confidence. Now does that translate to the same uh uh success on the ground versus a Big Ten defensive front than a main defensive front? Probably not, but maybe, you never know. Uh, Either way, I just think that the team's going to show up prepared to play. It's a matter of Mm -hmm. can they execute, and again, to go back to my complaint about the LSU game, I think the key to executing at least as well as they're able to against a defense like that is to just go after it, you know, go aggressive. If they stop you, they stop you, but don't, you know, uh, waste all of your effort worrying about how to get around where those guys are going to be. Run it block it how it's supposed to be blocked, run it how it's supposed to be run, let the chips fall where they will.
0: Yeah, just one thing coming off of that, Mike, there ain't ain't no controversy uh, at the quarterback position in Statesboro. I think um, for those even allowing themselves to think that um, that's fine, because I guess you'd be going off of, uh, you know, what you've seen, the numbers, that's fine, but there ain't no controversy. When Wirtz is healthy, he's the starting quarterback for Georgia Southern and, uh there is little Justin Tomlin could do. If Justin Tomlin beats out Shy Wertz, a healthy Shy Wertz, uh Jordan Southern probably isn't going to lose another game because that means Tomlin is playing lights out. Um another thing going into this Minnesota game, Mike, uh kind of in that same light, uh the punting position. We know McGill Bowerly is back from his academic suspension. Uh Bowerly actually um this is unofficial, became the first punter ever. Uh, to have academic uh, problems enough to be suspended. I don't know that any other punter in the world has ever been academically suspended. Uh, oh, I'm sure they
2: have managed it. There's a punter in Colorado that stabbed a guy a few years ago, so at least he's not at the bottom of the uh, suspension list. Yeah,
0: but stabbing, I mean, I don't know. I feel like stabbing punters is about as as prominent as...
2: Uh, uh, I'm sure the punter missed the test somewhere, and maybe the first Georgia Southern punter, but... Either way, I don't think that stat's going to make uh, the 2020 media guide.
0: I mean, maybe not. I'll have to get in touch with SID MVP Brian Johnson about that. But look, Beck, Anthony Beck is the starter this week on the depth chart heading into Minnesota. And when McLean Baxley asked Lunsford about this uh, after the main game, uh, Lunsford was awesome in his response. He was matter of fact. Uh, look, I don't, a guy shouldn't lose his job to injury unless the other guy has clearly outperformed uh, what uh, the first guy put on tape and what he put in the stat sheet. Uh, Beck has done better than Bowerly did when Bowerly was on the field. Uh, so Beck deserves, uh, I don't know if he deserves the starting nod for the rest of the season, but I think he deserves another week for sure. And until Anthony Beck does something to warrant uh, not punting the football for Georgia Southern, Uh, I think it's the right call and and kudos to Lunsford and company for kind of doing what it said it would and and allowing uh, competition to kind of shape the depth chart instead of allowing seniority to shape it. Uh, You know, I think Anthony Beck should be the starting punter for Georgia Southern. Um, Mike, do you see anything on the depth chart? I mean, I guess that punter, if you have anything there, or do you see anything else uh, heading into Maine? uh, I mean, heading into Minnesota this week, uh, that that kind of strikes you as important?
2: Uh, no, I, I mean, I agree with you um, as far as Beck. I think that he's earned the right to, to keep on kicking it, and he's done a good job. The one you know, kind of wild card I would throw out there is, you know, there are restrictions to how many guys you can take up there with you, how many guys you can dress. And There's a lot of positions where the same guy's the backup for position A is position B, and, you know, you aren't going to take uh, – not often do you have, like, backup punters hanging around and yeah. while I'm not concerned about what you know would happen if that gets hurt, uh, uh, punting wise, because you know I guess Bass could do that. Well, uh, Bass I would can do that. that. Well, but you know what else Bass did last week was miss a field goal, which you know who the holder was all all year last season when he barely missed any was McGill Bowerly, and that's a camaraderie unlike any other. That snapper, holder, kicker. Not saying that there is anything wrong with the hold, but. You know, kickers can be like, you know, closers in baseball. They can get a little antsy. You don't want to mess with them too yeah. much.
0: Yeah, that's something. I mean, I, I hear that. I, I, you got to take Bowerly that's on this That's just the, something to you? throw
2: out there for the sake of discussion.
0: I hear you, and we're all for that here, Mike. But, I mean, you got to take Bowerly, don't you? You you got to take both of
2: them. I would, I would think so. I just, I don't know. Cause you know Who do you leave Friday behind when you take be, Bowerly? Right, right. There's going to be decisions yeah. decisions. Do you need that last linebacker? Can you afford to uh leave a, an athlete who might be able to make a scoring play for you in order to have a holder or a backup kicker. You know, that's that's why that's why they get paid the big money and we get paid to criticize their decision.
0: Correct, correct. That's fair. And we and criticize we shall. Uh what else you got from Minnesota Mike? I mean, I'm I'm all set. We got uh a preview with Andy Greter following us right right after this um right after this segment. So, if you're good to leave it there, I'm good to leave it there.
2: Uh, I, I'm good to leave it there, but uh, we talked about and Brinson and Kendall Gildor. They are going to need to bring their pass to Fenn and Shoes because, as good as they are, they might be two pro corners and they're probably going up against two pro receivers coming up.
0: Yeah, let's. Uh, and, and again, Andy Gretta from the Pi- uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press is about to. Uh, you're, you're about to hear him on this episode scout the Golden Gophers, but do not go into this game uh, thinking that, that this is. Uh, your granddaddy's big 10 team they have the ability to hit on several different kind of passing plays and they have uh, the ability to hit big plays they've scored some points uh, against um, you know average competitions thus far Um, so I think Georgia Southern this doesn't feel like the LSU game and they're only a, a 15 I say only they're only 15 point underdog as we record this on Tuesday night um it feels like Georgia Southern has a better shot at at being uh competitive in this one but honestly heading into the bye week after Minnesota and then that uh monumental Sunbelt Conference opener at Paulson against Louisiana I think you just want to see more progress here and then hopefully after the bye week you get words back uh I guess there's a long shot that you might get Wes Kennedy back It's, it's unlikely uh, at this point, I would think uh, But you you head into the bye week You try to get healthy You get CJ right back maybe uh, At nose tackle And then you go from there But uh, a win Probably not going to happen at Minnesota But you just want to see the team play better Than they did at LSU I mean, are you good with that, Mike?
2: Yeah, yeah I, I think that this week's all about Building some momentum Bye week's about getting healthy And then they've got to They've got to show up against So Louisiana ready to go Because the conference when we uh predicted the season and we both were kind of in agreement that there's just a razor thin margin for how you perform in this conference if you want to win it
0: yeah no doubt bye week uh is for getting healthy mike and bye week is for lowering my handicap on the golf course you want to tell everyone how they can find you mike
2: uh yeah you can read me in print in the statesboro herald you can read me online at statesboroherald.com we've also got videos to go up there each week And on game days, you can catch me on Twitter at Harold G.S. Sports.
0: Awesome. And for us at Jadon Sports, SMN on Twitter, uh, send me all your complaints and rants on there. Uh, Email T Jadon, J-A-U-D-O-N at savannahnow.com. Then you can find all of our uh, Georgia Southern coverage at savannahnow.com slash sports. We want you guys to rate, subscribe, share this podcast, Uh, only if it's five stars, only rated if it's five stars, Uh, and then visit savannahnow.com and sign up for the free Georgia Southern Extra Newsletter. Uh, I know how much you guys like free, and I know how much you like Georgia Southern. This is both of those things wrapped in one. So sign up for the Georgia Southern Newsletter uh, today. Stay tuned right now. We'll have uh, the interview with Andy Greta from the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Uh, You'll want to hear this. This is a good scouting report on the golden Gophers and this will uh, ensure that you're the smartest guy in the room uh, when talking about this game with your friends. So thanks guys for listening and we'll catch you after week three at Minnesota. Stay tuned. All right, Georgia Southern fans. We have a new offer for you guys at savannahnow.com We want you guys to check it out. It's a newsletter focused on Georgia Southern athletics and Georgia Southern athletics only. This is a free opportunity for you guys to get caught up on all the latest news on the Eagles, whether it be on the football field, basketball court, baseball field, or what have you. But go join the mailing list for the newsletter, and this is how you do it. Go to savannahnow.com and look on the right side of the homepage, click get our newsletters, and go from there. The newsletter will have a blog post once a week, as well as other relevant Georgia Southern stories opportunities to subscribe to the podcast, and other insider notes that you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe today. All right, we're joined now by Andy Greeter of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Andy covers Minnesota for the Pioneer Press and is going to help us scout the Gophers for the 330 kickoff this Saturday um, at Minnesota on the Big Ten Network. Andy, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on. So first,
0: what we want to do is kind of just give Georgia Southern fans, a, uh, you know, a basic overview of Minnesota from, from both sides of the ball and kind of what to expect uh, on Saturday. If you could kind of first just tell us how their first two weeks have gone. I know it has been uh, very eventful for Minnesota football thus far in 2019.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, they went into the year uh, with some, some higher expectations than what they've had in the past. You know, last year they went seven and six and and went to a bowl game uh, for the first time under coach BJ Fleck in his second year. And they thought, uh, you know, this was going to be a a year where they were going to be much stronger. And I think we're still trying to figure that out. If that's the case, they had, you know, everything they could handle in FCS South Dakota state in the first game and were able to eat that one out. And then, uh, you know, just on Saturday, they went out to California and uh, beat a Fresno state team in double overtime, had to overcome three turnovers um, and seven penalties, including three that led to Fresno State touchdowns. So, and that's very uncharacteristic for PGAF-like teams. Usually they are uh, very disciplined, and they also don't turn the ball over very much. So, we're still trying to figure out what this team is. we still trying to work out some of the, the kinks that they've had early on in the year. I think you can see ingredients for them to be successful, but they haven't put it all together in a game yet.
0: And so as far as PJ Fleck goes, obviously, you know, when Minnesota hired him, he had become kind of, uh, you know, a household name around college football, at least. Uh, How has that gone? And kind of for, you know, you have a pulse on Minnesota fans and the fan base kind of, I guess, how have they viewed Fleck so far and, um, you know, what he's been able to do at Minnesota thus far?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I think we're still waiting to see what that's going to be. I think this being year three. I think fans are starting to expect if they can see tangible progress this year. I mean, they went five and seven and then seven and six uh, in P.J.'s first two years. So, you know, they're looking for eight, nine wins this year. And I think the schedule breaks that way. I think for the first time, you can start to see some depth underneath uh, what he's uh, for, for what he's built here. I think you're starting to see a little bit more talent come in. Um, some guys from Georgia in particular that have come up here uh, and have been successful um, and have some talent. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're starting to see what that's going to be. I, I mean, yeah, he was he was, you know, maybe the hottest coach or one of the hottest coaches, you know, after the 2016 season when he took Western Michigan to the Cotton Bowl and they went 13 and one and, and played Wisconsin there. Uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, we're starting to see what that's going to be. Uh, But like I said, um, we're still we're still kind of waiting to see what the identity of this team is going to be.
0: Yeah, and for Georgia Southern fans unfamiliar, uh, Fleck actually coached against Georgia Southern in 2015 and 2016 uh, at Western Michigan. I don't know the out. I think they split. I think they went one and one um, in those two seasons. Uh, But so Fleck will be somewhat familiar uh, with Georgia Southern. Um, So let's start with the the same
1: coach and everything since then.
0: Uh, no, they've had actually, uh, two, so Lunsford, their head coach now, uh, took over for the guy that, um, was there in 2016, Tyson Summers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So new system and everything.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, Georgia Southern probably will be very similar to what Flex saw though. I, you know, 2015 and 2016, that's, I mean, as far as like scheme goes, but definitely, uh, different different type of roster but let's start with the offense for minnesota um you know just a i guess a scheme wise and an overview of what they'll look like and kind of what they hang their hat on you know what do they excel at and, and maybe where are they uh weakest on the offensive side
1: yeah so you know this is a team that wants to uh, establish the road with inside zone uh rodney smith is your sixth year uh, starting tailback uh, who's from jonesboro georgia uh who uh you know has had a, a couple of injuries in his career, but is now back healthy uh, for them. Him and Mo Ibrahim are their two tailbacks. They've got an enormous offensive line, uh, which has gotten a lot of uh, praise for being bigger than the Vikings offensive line. Um, and they've, uh, they've kind of had a so-so uh, start of the year. You know, they, they played a lot better against Fresno, but they struggled at, against the FCS, uh, Jack Rapids, and South Dakota State. So, uh, you know, they've got some talent outside a wide receiver, Tyler Johnson. Was an All Big Ten selection last year, uh, but he's gotten a lot of attention from opposing defensive coordinators, and he's been taken out of a lot of games, which has provided opportunities uh, for sophomore Rashad Bateman, uh, who's from Tift County, Georgia, uh, who turned down a an offer to the Bull, uh, the Bulldogs in Georgia uh, to come to Minnesota. Uh, he's a he's a special talent, and he's been blossoming, especially as uh, defenses have given more uh, credit and more attention to Tyler Johnson. So. You know, they want to establish the run. Uh, They want to, you know, have run pass options of that. Um, They want to have play action pass. Uh, Tanner Morgan is their quarterback. Uh, This is his, uh, you know, second year, if you will, for Annex, who got injured mid-year last year. Uh, And and Tanner, uh, with these two wins this year, is 6-2 as a starter. Uh, He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most athletic guy. Uh, But as you saw against Fresno State, he knows how to win. Uh, that they had in the corner of the end zone on fourth and thirteen to force overtime um, was incredible. Uh, just showed a lot of moxie, a lot of poise, and just rising to the occasion when they needed it most. Um, so yeah, he's gonna. He's very accurate. Uh, he doesn't have the strongest arm. Um, they do a lot of read option stuff. Uh, he will keep it at times, but more often than not, he's gonna give it to the running backs and Smith and Ibrahim.
0: Yeah, it seems like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like that he yeah. he does have the ability off the read option to to make yeah. defenses pay, but that's kind of not what what they want uh, to happen. But he, yeah. you know, he has enough to keep defenses honest. I think one thing about him, yeah. <clears throat> having seen you know their both games that Minnesota played this year on replay, of course, but having watched them, some quarterbacks are. Uh, you know, difficult to watch for lack of a better word, but he's not one of those guys. He's kind of a, an easy guy to watch and, and a gutsy guy and a player too. I mean, obviously has plenty of talent. Um, I, no, one more thing, yeah. on one more thing on the offense and then we'll jump over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, I guess for Georgia Southern, who runs the fewest amount of plays uh, per game in the country. And, and that's obviously by design. Uh, what kind of tempo will Minnesota go out on offense? I mean, is it, is it a noteworthy, slow, or fast tempo, or is it just kind of right in the middle?
1: Uh, you know, I would say it's probably a little bit on the slower side. You know, P.J. Fleck uh, was a graduate assistant under Jim Trestle, uh and he likes to say that, you know, he's from that kind of school of football uh, where it's run first, it's manage the clock, it's control the tempo. Uh, so they will play at a, at a little bit slower pace. It's not glacial by any means. Uh, they will certainly turn up tempo if they feel like they need to, you know, if they're in the two minute, two minute drill, or if they're, you know, trying to to get a quick first down, uh, they will go quick tempo. Uh, but this is not a a no huddle team. This is not a team that wants to, you know, get plays off every 15 seconds, something like that. So the the pace of the game won't be an issue uh, for Georgia Southern. All
0: right, let's jump to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, who are some guys that we should be looking out for and kind of schematically how will Minnesota line up on that side of the ball?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, just the way the, the Fresno State game uh, finished, you have to lead with Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, obviously, that name should, should ring a bell for, for football fans. Uh, his dad was a long-time uh, NFL player for the Bills and the Vikings. And, he, uh, you know, he played at Ohio State uh, and was just a tremendous player uh, throughout his career. And uh, his, his son, Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, doesn't play the same position. He plays safety. He doesn't play corner, nickel corner like uh, Antoine Winfield Sr. did. Uh, but he's a playmaker. I mean, he, uh, it looked like the Gophers were going to get beat at Fresno State in the second overtime. Uh, but he just made a tremendous play for game saving, uh, winning interception. And uh, he did that against Fresno State last year as well. Uh, so he's probably their biggest game breaker. Uh, you know, a, a linebacker, uh, they've, they've kind of solidified things. Kamal Martin. Uh, a Minnesota kid who uh, was suspended for the first game. He's back and has kind of corrected a lot of things in the middle of the the Gophers' defense. Uh, Thomas Barber is also in the middle there. That's the younger brother of Marion Barber III. Uh, Obviously had a great Gophers career and played for the Cowboys as well. Uh, Along the defensive line, it's Carter Coughlin, uh, another Minnesota kid who uh, is kind of banged up, uh, hasn't been playing a, a whole lot except for passing situations. Uh, but he's an all big 10 type player uh, that provides a lot of uh, uh, worry on the edge, uh, especially on passing downs. He had his first sack against Fresno state, even though he was uh, banged up with an undisclosed injury. Uh, So yeah, those are kind of the three playmakers the the Gophers will like to, Uh, they've been using a a, a third long uh, package with four defensive ends, uh, which is a little bit variable, a little bit different. Sometimes one of those, uh, lineman will have his hand down sometimes it's two uh, they want to bring pressure uh, with just four guys and they've had some success uh, with that look uh, so yeah we'll uh they also like to bring Winfield on blitzes as well and, and try to mix it up so you know Joe Rossi is the defensive coordinator Uh he's about a half a year into it he was in the interim last year after the Gophers struggled out of the gate uh, he got that full-time job after they knocked off their our rival Wisconsin uh, in Madison, and uh, you know they've had some issues defensively, but for the most part, uh, it's improved across the board.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I guess how or what? What do you think the the team and the coaching staff? You know, how are they preparing for the option offense? Obviously, teams yeah. don't see it too often these days, but I, I would yeah. think I would think that playing in the Big Ten, they at least have the guys you know, quote unquote, the guys to stop the run kind of, you know, naturally I would think, but I guess how are they going about planning for for the option offense?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, across the board, more often than not, the big 10 is, is a run first type of league. Um, So yeah, you'll have the size, you'll have the athletes uh, to be able to, to kind of handle that, you know, you know, a similar type example um, is what the Gophers had uh, against Georgia tech last year in uh, Paul yeah. Johnson's last game, um, so but they had a month to prepare for that, and they completely shut that down in the Quick Lane Bowl, uh, so they showed an the ability to be able to scheme and, and play against uh, an option offense where reading your keys is crucial, with staying on assignment is crucial, uh, so they showed them the, an ability to do that last year, and I know to Southern does it a little bit different out of the pistol, uh, but I asked DJ that uh, today uh, because I knew that there was probably a, a lot of scouting work uh, that was done throughout the offseason, knowing that Georgia Southern was on the schedule. Uh, and he said as as they were preparing for South Dakota State in their opener, they took some time out uh, during that preparation work uh, to focus on Georgia Southern to try to put some things in the back of players' heads on on reading their keys and knowing what the assignments are uh, when you face a type of uh, offense like that. So, yeah, I mean they've shown some success against a different type of option offense, and they've started early in preparing for this one.
0: All right, Andy. We got one more for you. We're gonna put you on the spot now. Uh, I guess some some beat writers in the past on this podcast have avoided making a prediction, and I won't make you make one. But I guess on Saturday, two things. How, you know, how do you see the game playing out on the field, and also for Georgia Southern fans traveling uh, to Minneapolis, yeah. maybe maybe what's some one thing that that you would say? Make sure you get to, or make sure you avoid, and kind of don't make a rookie mistake uh, on Saturday
1: sure um well i you're not putting me on the spot i make a prediction uh in our paper every week but uh, for wow. a couple of weeks i i uh, have not been uh have not been very accurate um so just take this with a grain of thought I, I thought that the the gophers would roll against south dakota state and they barely won i thought fresno state would eke it out uh, against the gophers and and uh you know the gophers actually won so uh you know i haven't been very good in my predictions uh but i do think that We're starting to see the Gophers improve a little bit uh, from week one to week two. If they're able to cut down some of the turnovers, which is kind of out of characteristic, and especially the turnovers, which really cost them, uh, P.J. Fleck in his time in Minnesota has been one of the least penalized teams in the nation. I I think that they'll kind of return to that standard. Uh, Just like I said with with how they prepared for for Georgia Tech last year, I'd imagine that they're going to have uh, some uh, sound defense and the responsibilities and how they handle uh, Georgia Southern. And I think the spread is what, like 15 points or so right now, 15, 16.
0: Yeah, right you know, around
1: there. It, it, yeah, you know, I think it'll probably be a two-touchdown game. I don't know if the Gophers cover, uh, but, uh, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm curious as, as if uh, if uh, Wirtz is going to play. I know Tomlin had some success against Maine, but that was an FCS school. So, you know, if Wirtz is able to come back, does that take them uh, to another gear uh, after not being able to play very much against LSU as well? You know, kind of where is that? I know, that he can be a difference maker. And uh, I don't know if Wallace is going to be able to play. Um, so that that also is something to, to keep in mind. But yeah, I think the Gophers will win by a couple of touchdowns, but uh, I think there's some variables there. Um, as far as uh, Minneapolis, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful city. Uh, there's plenty of lakes and the Mississippi River runs runs through it. Um, there's some great neighborhoods, kind of St. Anthony, Maine, uh, northeast uh, is what it's called, and uh, there's just some great spots uh, through there along the river. Um, so I would say probably check that out. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's some lakes to, to kind of uh, check out as well. Um, what, what are some of the usual recommendations? I don't know. It's kind of catching me off guard as far as touristy type stuff. <laughs>
0: Uh, I mean, I think most of the listeners to this podcast, uh, uh, while they are yeah. refined, while they are refined folks, they do uh, enjoy <laughs> their beverages on Friday nights uh, for okay, away games.
1: Sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I know day of uh, there's uh, there's a Buffalo Wild Wings. I know that's kind of uh, uh, kind of a chain, but uh, that's right across the street from the stadium. Um, the, the the stadium is in Dickey Town, uh, and there's a main strip on University Avenue uh, that has a lot of different bars and restaurants. Uh, so I would probably check that out.
0: Awesome, Andy. Well, hey, we really appreciate you joining us. Do you want to let everyone know how they can uh, read your stuff and follow you online?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, uh, Twitter. It's at Andy Greeter, G-R-E-D-E-R. Uh, and then all my work is at uh, TwinCities.com.
0: Awesome, Andy. That's Andy Greeter, folks, scouting the Gophers for us. We appreciate you joining us, my man.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Sir. Oh, he will.
2: Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now.
1: Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Iligwe will score. The Wesley
2: Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.